Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This this is the Blue Horseshoe with your host, George Brummer and Ryan Hickey. As always, like and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. All right, George. So a lot of negativity so far. Let's try to bring some sunshine in what is right now a very dreary outlook on this Colts season. We just were talking about before about the disappearance of really all the talent on this Colts team. We talked about the seven Pro Bowlers last year. Really no one right now is stepping up. They brought in a few others as well this offseason. I think one of the areas of optimism for this Colts team now moving ahead, looking ahead, is the fact that this team has a lot of talent. And it's like maybe this is just me being a sucker George and being an eternal optimist that I am, I have a hard time believing guys like Unique Ngakwe are going to be this bad the rest of the season. I'm going to have a tough time thinking, I think right now the best guard in the NFL and Quinn Nelson is going to continue to be a non-factor. And this offensive line that is the most heavily paid in all of the NFL is going to continue to be more of a weakness than a positive. I'm going to believe that Matt Ryan, even though it's looked ugly so far for the first two games, is going to get in a rhythm, is going to play better. And I'm going to believe at least this defense is going to be, especially in the back seven, is going to be a lot better than what it's shown so far through the first two weeks. I think the talent and the names on this team, just there's just no way, at least right now, through two weeks, I can believe they will continue to play as bad as they've shown. Is there, are you with me, George? Is there a reason to believe? Or again, am I kind of being more of a sucker here and kind of trying to chase false hope? Yeah, I mean... I think there's a basis for what you're saying. You know, the talent is there. That's why that's why we picked them to win the division at the beginning of the year. It's why we spent all training camp talking about, you know, get off to this hot hot start and put yourself in a position to to worry about seeding and things like that, which we thought would happen because there is a lot of talent on this football team. And I, I personally think it all has to start with the offensive line. Nothing else is going to get better until that area improves. This offensive line is heavily paid. They've got two pro bowlers. Braden Smith has been, has played at a pro bowl level. He just hasn't been to a pro bowl yet. Uh, You knew there'd be some adjustment with two new starters, but it can't, it can't be this bad. It can't, you know, seven sacks through two games. And that number should probably be higher. I mean, Ryan probably should have been sacked more in Houston than he was, Uh, you know, four yards rushing for, for Jonathan Taylor in the first half on Sunday against Jacksonville. This line is is well paid. It's well respected around the league. They've got to step up first. To me, that's where it all, start, all starts. If you get them to start bullying teams again, 
then all of a sudden Matt Ryan has time. He can probably make some better decisions and some better throws. Jonathan Taylor gets some room to run, and now your offense can get going. Right now, as, as I said earlier, you're the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL in terms of, of points, which is the most important stat in my mind. And, you know, you until that goes up, yeah, there's things they got to fix on defense. There's things that need to be fixed with the wide receivers. There's a lot of areas that need some help on this team. But until the offensive line starts playing to its standard, I don't know that anything else can really improve. What do we say to start the podcast, George? We're going to try to provide optimism and answers. And one of the answers, or at least we're hoping to provide, of how this team could turn it around is through tangible advice or tangible um, points. And you're right. I'm with you. Right? Because like the, the Colts can turn this season around in one of two ways. Rely on their strength right, or hope a weakness right now can turn around and become a strength. I'm with you right now. Like I'm not hoping or I'm not basing my optimism on the wide receiving group turning it around and all of a sudden, you know, Alec Pierce, Paris Campbell, and Ashton Doolin becoming, you know, a four-headed monster like they have in Cincinnati. I'm not, you know, sitting here thinking this defensive line is going to be like the monsters of the midway and all of a sudden start getting after the quarterback in, in a, you know, historic fashion. I'm with you. This team, this turnaround starts with the highest paid group uh, offensive line in the NFL this team starts with what is their identity and their strength. You paid the guys that um, that deserve to be paid in Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. Like I said, Chris Ballard has talked about ad nauseum about how he wants to build his team through the trenches. And this team, their success, especially in offense, it doesn't start with Jonathan Taylor or Michael Pittman Jr. or Matt Ryan. It starts, like you said, with that offensive line getting a push and whether it's getting you know Matt Ryan time to throw the ball or giving Jonathan Taylor lanes to run through, that's where this turnaround is going to start. They are a way better and more talented unit than so far than they played. Even like to your point with two starters that are questionable and Matt Pryor and Danny Pinner, you still have three established veterans, three pro bowl level players that should kind of like, you know, how all tide, you know, was it a uh, high tide raises all boats. That is the same thing here when you have three pro bowlers out of basically five positions in offensive line. This unit has to play better. I think that's where the turnaround for the Colts is going to come. It's going to start in the trenches, and it's going to start on the offensive line to start, you know, giving Matt Ryan more time uh, to throw the ball and giving Jonathan more lanes to run through. That's where this team is going to turn it around. And, you know, I think defensively, and this is going to sound silly, and there's going to be people who hear this who are probably going to throw their radio or whatever they're listening (laughs) on their phone, you know, out the window, but – the defense is not that far from where it needs to be. The biggest problem the defense has right now is twofold. One, they're not getting the splash plays. They've got to get the sacks. They've got to get occasionally a turnover. You've got to knock a ball loose here and there. But to me, the number one thing with the defense is third down. They're, they're yep. not giving up big plays. They're not giving up giant chunks of yards. You know, I don't know how many times you saw both Houston and Jacksonville, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 play drives. But somewhere in that, that's what the defense is designed to do. But the goal is somewhere in there, you're going to get a third down stop. That's what the defense has to do. And whether that's getting sacks from Ngakwe and Buckner, whether it's getting just, you know, tighter coverage in in the secondary or a turnover here and there, you've got to start winning on third down. And I think that's if the defense, if the offensive line starts playing better, you're going to see the offense take off. If the defense starts playing better on third down, you're going to see the defense take off. And two, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like you said, you know, Gus Bradley, new system coming in, no Shaquille Leonard, obviously, right now, so the first two games. So there is reason to believe this defense can turn around. But like you said, it just goes back to also one of the reasons for optimism, just the talent. 
Like you have a very talented defensive line that's really underperformed where you look so far through two games, they have one sack in eight uh, regulation quarters. That's awful. That's that's unacceptable. And the only sack came from EJ Speed. So it's not even like, you know, Unique Ngakwe or Quiddy Pay, again, in, at least in, in regulation, are getting after the quarterback on a consistent basis. And when you have Davis Mills and you have Trevor Lawrence having the time that they have, they're going to pick you apart. And that's part of it too is just, like I said, getting a stop, getting an incompletion. It also starts with pressure the quarterback, making them uncomfortable. I and mean, Trevor Lawrence was 25 of 30 on Sunday. Got all day. He had no pressure on his face. So, of course, it's almost like a seven on seven when you're sitting back there with all the time in the world. That's where, like you said, the defensive turnaround starts. And it starts with hopefully their high paid star players into Forrest Buckner and uh, Unique Ngakwe getting after the quarterback and making their presence felt, which again goes back to the reason why I'm, I'm at least believing this Colts team this season is not over and why the sky's not falling. They have the talent to turn this around. It's not like this team stinks where it's like the Texans and there's no talent anywhere. And we had false hope. Like there is talent up and down this roster for the most part, for the most part, there's glaring deficiencies. Don't get me wrong, but you look around almost every position group has one pro bowl esque player. That's good. You know, talent development, that's good talent management. Now it's just having those players you pay step up to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that simple. Honestly, your star players have to play like stars. And I think the thing that got driven home, and Jonathan Taylor talked about it a little bit in the locker room after the game on Sunday, this is a very brutal punishing league. It, it, the margin for error is very small. I don't know if people realize that really. It doesn't matter who you're playing, whether it's Jacksonville or Houston or Kansas City on Sunday. Every team in the NFL, if you go out and, and you show weakness – and you have mistakes, and, and, and you do the things this team's done in terms of penalties, in terms of turnovers, in terms of missed assignments, missed alignments, they're going to make you pay. And so that's the other area. Star players have to play like stars. you got to get big plays. You're not going to win games in the NFL without big plays. The other area is cleaning up the little details. You know, too many things slipping by on this team. I don't three or four times they were lined up in the wrong place, got a penalty for it. I don't know how many how much it shows up on TV, but both of the first two weeks, there were a number of times where the Texans or the Jaguars shifted on offense, and all of a sudden the defense is pointing at each other. Guys, it's it's chaos. No one's where they need to be until right before the snap. You do those things in the NFL, the results are what you've seen so so far with this team. And even the bad teams, like you said, are so good where they will, if you show like any sort of weakness or any sort of miscommunication, they're still good enough. Take advantage of that. And that's so far something you've seen the first two weeks in the Texans and the Jaguars doing consistently. Another area, George, I think that they can utilize to turn it around uh, to a slow start. I think they got to get Naeem Hines more involved. This might be, you know, I guess uh, I'm turning to a Naeem Hines stand here after kind of talking about his importance uh, going into week number two for this offense. But it's like Frank Reich especially got him involved early in the first drive. He was targeted three times, making some plays. Then was targeted for whatever reason just twice after that. And one thing that did bother me was Frank Reich's explanation after the game saying that, you know, they try to get Naeem Hines involved early and then it's, well, after that, then it's Jonathan Taylor time. Well, when you're giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor nine total times in the game and you're in the deficit the entire game and you're passing more than you're running the ball, I think it's time to say, all right, scrap the run or, God forbid, we put two running backs on the field at the same time, especially when no one else around Matt Ryan offensively is making any plays. Like, it's not like uh, Michael Strawn or, or Mo Cox or Paris Campbell are making play after play after play where they're keeping 
Naeem Hines on the sideline. Like after Jonathan Taylor, he is probably their most explosive and dependable playmaker on offense, especially in week number two and Michael Pittman not there. And the fact that Frank Wright just didn't utilize him more in that game is frustrating. I think now you have to really reevaluate what you're going to do because especially when you're going against a Chiefs offense that's going to, we know, going to put up a lot of points. Patrick Holmes is not slowed down without the uh, without Tyree Kill out there. So you got to think, all right, we're going to have to score a ton to be in this game on Sunday. Well, obviously you're going to try to feed Michael Pittman Jr. If he's healthy, you think even he's on the field, he'd be limited in some aspect. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is there. But other than that, don't you want to start feeding the ball now to guys that have proven to be playmakers? And I am Hines, whether it's in the run game, whether it's in the pass game or the return game, has shown you a consistent ability to make the first guy miss and make some plays. Like it's gotten to the point where now you have to have the other guys earn your trust, right? It's no longer, hey, we're going to try to throw to Paris Campbell on third down because, you know, we're just going to see what happens. Or, hey, it's third and five. We're going to see if Alec Pierce can make a play. I think the trial and error period is done. Now it's you got to prove it. And right now, one of the guys that have proven it so far, I think, is Hines. And that's a guy that I think when it comes to this offense being more explosive and getting, you know, bigger plays, it starts with him getting the ball more. Yeah, I think the usage of Hines is is the biggest, most like uh, accurate thing that I've seen as far as criticism against Reich from that game on Sunday. Uh, one thing we got to remember is that there were only 50 offensive plays, which is about half. It's right about half of what they ran against Houston, which is crazy when you think about it. Uh, and that that had some effect on on the play calling, and it had some effect on who got in there. But Hines was only in on 15 of those 50 snaps. And when you had a day when two of your top three wide receivers were not there and you admit that it was tough to kind of adjust the game plan accordingly because they really thought most of the week they were going to have both Pierce and Pittman. I think they found out on Friday Pierce wasn't playing. They found out on Saturday they wouldn't have Pittman. And so, you know, part of that explanation there was, well, it's easier to adjust with the wide receivers than it is to kind of increase Hines's role as a receiver when it's not something he normally does. And I understand the logic of that, but it doesn't preclude what you were talking about, which is putting him in the backfield, rotating him out, having him there with Jonathan Taylor. I thought we would see more of that anyway uh, this year, even when Pittman and Pierce are healthy. Uh, I think it's something we do need to see more of. They, they said all offseason long they were going to involve Hines more. Uh, you know, it's, it's a supposedly a huge goal for the year. And then one of the things they talked about was the explosive plays they got when they put both those guys in the backfield together, because one or the other ends up making a big play more often than not. Uh, it just seems like on Sunday, that was an obvious thing. And whether or not Pittman and Pierce were, were late scratches, uh, shouldn't affected that. It should have been part of the play game plan before that happened. And it should have only been emphasized afterwards, I think getting Hines going and, and getting him in the backfield with Pitt, uh, with Taylor, yeah, it's, it's probably right behind the offensive line on my list of things that, that could quickly improve this football team. Absolutely, and especially with how lifeless his offense looked. It's like, you got to adjust. Like I get, you know, coaches game plan all week, right? But as soon, and even with Saturday when you find out Michael Pittman Jr. is not going to play, I mean, it's a surprise. Well, you got to quickly realize, okay, well, who else am I relying on? And when you look at the cast of characters the Colts are relying on, like there's no one that should say, oh, yeah, I'm going to trust him over a Naeem Hines. Or, oh, yeah, we're going to give him more playing time because he deserves it and has proven more than, than uh, Naeem Hines. Like you said, they've talked all offseason so far about getting more involved in the passing game and getting him on the field more. So far through two, you haven't really seen it. So that's one of the frustrations, too, with this Colts offseason is they've talked a lot about learning from the Jacksonville loss, about trying to involve guys like Naeem Hines more in the offense. So far through two weeks, it has been the complete opposite. 
so far, and nothing has changed. But finally, at least the last ho- hopefully bit of optimism we can look towards here, George, to the season's not done yet, seems not dead, is the fact that the division is awful. The division right now stinks. And even with the fact that the Colts over a number, uh, which was set at nine and a half by BetMGM, which I believe we both went over uh, in the preseason, that is already through two weeks dropped, two games to seven and a half. Even with that said, and that's a, right now, even if the Colts go over at eight, nine, it's a losing record. They're still favored to win the division in part because you look around, the Jaguars are the only team in the division with a win. T- uh, Tennessee right now is the biggest challenger. I still would say the biggest challenger of the Colts, 0-2, and they've looked horrendous. There's still a reason why this is, despite how ugly it's been, George, I still think it's the Colts' um, division to lose. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's what makes this start so frustrating because if you take care of business and you're 2-0 like you should be, uh, you'd be feeling really good about where you are in the, in the division right now, and you would feel like the Kansas City game's a nice measuring stick kind of football game. Instead, you're back in that same spot you've been, which, like you said, all the talk in the offseason was this is not going to happen. Here you are, 0-1-1, trying to dig yourself out of a hole, trying to and, and 0-1-1 and in the division as well, right. uh, which, you know, never that, that plays into tiebreakers. It's never a good thing at all. Uh, but here you are sitting here going into week three, uh, as bad as things are, as as bad as this team's looked, and again, I think they they've looked like the worst team in the league. The division is giving you a chance, and the AFC South is the land of of opportunity. You know, it has been for for a long time. It, it it's probably the single biggest reason for optimism out there right now. The fact that when you look around, Jacksonville is the only team in the division with a win. Uh, you feel like yeah. If you get on a hot streak for a good month or so, you're right back in there. You're right back in it anyway. They're second place in the division. There's, you know, they're not out of anything. There's 15 games left. Uh, I think it's hard to remember sometimes looking at the big picture uh, just because things have gone so poorly. But yeah, no, I think looking forward, there's still no reason to believe that this isn't the team that, that that's most capable of putting together a run and winning this division. I know the old saying, right? If it's and butts were candy nuts. So I'm not trying to like just, you know, you know, kind of say, oh, if only, you know, like I get understand like a lot of ifs don't win you games, right? Especially in the NFL, ifs don't win you anything. But you look to to your point with how bad this division is. If the Colts did take advantage of their opportunity so far, they're sitting there 2 0 and everyone else is 0 2. Like you win that week four game against Tennessee, the division, you make an argument, is, is already close to being over. So it's like, it's right there in front of you. Tennessee is not like very good. I mean, you look at Derek Henry so far, coming back. He's 107 yards so far in the season. He's averaging 3.1 yards per carry, a career low. And we know that Tennessee team, that Tennessee offense is run through Derek Henry. So if he can't get it going, Tennessee's not going to be very good at all. They lost to a giant team that's not very good. I know our producer Bill's a big Giants fan. I'm sorry about that, Bill. Giants are not a very talented team. So it's right there for the taking. And again, I hate to keep harping on it, but when you look at the talent and the roster on this team, they are not as bad so far as they truly have looked through two weeks. And there should be optimism. They can turn around. Where you look at Tennessee, they're built through Derrick Henry. Ryan Tannehill's not a guy you can really trust. They lost their best defender in Harold Landry. That defense especially got exposed by Buffalo, although everyone will get you know, blown out by Buffalo. Fine. But Jacksonville has their own concerns. And Houston is not very good either. It's this is still the Colts division to lose. And it's still, even with the 0-1-1 starting division, I think it'd be a massive upset if they don't win this division. I mean, based on talent, I agree. But, you know, they've, they've got to start taking it to the field. And that's the other thing they talked about all offseason long is, you know, credentials and, and accolades and whatever's on paper is 
there, just that it's on paper. You've got to take that out onto the field. You've got to show it in competition. Uh, and that's supposed to be the lesson they learned from that Jacksonville game last year. So far, that lesson's not been learned. And I think that's, you know, I, I, I go back to what, what you said before. All these things that you did in the offseason, the talent that you brought in, the lessons that you supposedly learned, the things that you supposedly did to become a better football team have not shown up yet. And you just got to believe over the last 15 games of the year, that's not going to be the case. At some point, the talent, the the football intelligence, the character of this football team will show up. It's they've they've had a track record for getting it, you know, in gear in the past after a slow start. I'm going to bank on on past history and think that's going to happen again. Uh, but I understand those Colts fans right now that at least are, are not very uh, optimistic. It's said very pessimistic. So at least we started this pod by trying to provide optimism, trying to provide answers. I think we did a good job at least providing the answers to who is the most to blame, but also to how a turnaround can happen with this team. I feel like, George, you're going to be the voice of reason for this pod. I think that's absolutely necessary because I will definitely get carried away either too positive or too negative. I think you are more level-headed when it comes to this team so far through two weeks. Is there any – did I sway you at all in terms of optimism-wise or is this still a Colts team that you think is closer destined to a number one overall pick than, let's say, a playoff berth? You know, I just – my problem right now is, uh, like I said last week, they, they've lost the benefit of the doubt with me. You know what I mean? I need to see right, it That's on fair, too. You know, like I – I get it, and and I, I agree with everything you said, and I, I 100% think this team's too talented to continue to play like this. It's too talented to be a team that, that ends up picking first in the draft. But right now, I just need to see some some hard evidence on the field from this team, and I think I think probably most people are feeling that way. You know what I mean? It, it, we know what they are capable of. We know what's on paper, uh, You know what this team should do, but I think it's time for them to take it to the field and, and give us some reason for optimism uh, you know, with their play. And that's, that's very fair to me. Like you said, this, you, after a while, and we've kind of even harped on it before, it's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk, a lot of talk. Now it's time to actually put the work on the field. Like I said, they have shown you no reason to believe so far. Um, but at least the way I operate is, is optimistic, uh, to a fault. So I will still kind of point to at least the hope that the turnaround is there. But George, I mean, like I said, that's why you're the voice reason because right now, on paper, through what we watch, and we're not even on paper, what we watch through two weeks, they've given you really no reason to believe so far they could turn this this ship around. That is for sure.